You are Locked On Broncos, your daily podcast on the Denver Broncos, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And the Denver Broncos have taken Super Bowl 50. All right, you are Locked On Broncos. I am Chad Jensen, the publisher of MileHighHuddle.com. Of course, we're part of the Scout Media Network, and my co-host, Luke Polglaze, is off on holiday. He's traveling around the country, seeing people, friends, family, you know, catching up. So tonight, I'm going to welcome in a very special guest, uh, Will Keys, the editor of MileHighHuddle.com. Will, are you ready to get your podcast on, sir? I'm very ready. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I was born to talk Broncos, so I'm excited for the opportunity. <laughs> Let's do it. Absolutely. Well... It's Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, Locked on Broncos. We're not here to just report the news. You can get that anywhere. We're here to give you that more in-depth analytical look at the Denver Broncos, you know, whether it's X's and O's, player evals, you know, draft talk, you name it. So we need you to get the word out. Tell your friends, tell your fellow uh, family members who are Broncos fans, and let's light up the internet orange and blue. Um, again, in, in this show, we're, we're a little bit new to the block with the Locked On family, um, but we are committed to bringing you a daily podcast that focuses entirely on your Denver Broncos. We're going to be consistent and we're going to be prolific. We know that you need your Broncos fix, and five days a week, we will be here to give it to you. So uh, another thing before we jump into the Bronco talk, I want to remind everybody, Locked On Broncos, the home is, is on audio boom, and it's great. But make sure to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. We have a ridiculous amount of Bronco content coming your way. Now, Will, um, we have a big game on deck. Uh, We do. The Denver Broncos are stepping out of their bye and into a huge divisional game against the Kansas City Chiefs. The game has been flexed to to, uh, 6.30 on Sunday Night Football, NBC. Both teams are 7-3 and and essentially tied for second place in the AFC West, one game behind uh, the surging 8-2 and two Oakland Raiders. Now, the magnitude of this game is enormous. The Broncos have six games left on the schedule, um, and uh, three of them, including Sunday night's game, are, are divisional throwdowns, and, of course, one includes also the New England Patriots. Now, traditionally, Denver performs very well um, after their week off. They own a 21-6 and six record all-time in games following the bye. So let me ask you, Will, what are you expecting to see from the Broncos on Sunday night after a week of rest? Yeah, well, it really seems like Gary Kubiak knows how to prepare uh, after a bye week. We kind of saw it last year with the Green Bay game where uh, they came out really strong. They came out with a pretty balanced offense, and they're really creative, too. They used uh, kind of a few of the staples of the Kubiak offense. They had Peyton Manning you know, on the move, hitting Virgil Green for a few plays. Uh, I don't know, Manning's arm just felt like it was uh, really fresh after the bye week. For sure. So you want to see, uh, you want to see some creative creativity in the play calling. You want to see, uh, you want to see them first establish some balance. You know, get some, uh, get some yards on the ground early, and then work the play action off of that. I think Simeon is uh, is really ideal for that type of offense. And when it's clicking, you know, he, he's as good as anybody when he gets out on the move and can hit Janovich, you know, Virgil Green, uh, anybody on those little crossing routes. But uh, you want to see that, and you want to see uh, everybody kind of returning to full health. So we're going to get Tlaib back, we think. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Wolf should be back. So with everybody at full strength, you know, this is kind of the peak of the defense. It's, it's now or never. 
So oh, yeah. if we don't see if we don't see them kind of performing at uh, a really high level, I don't think it's ever going to happen uh, this season. So, um, yeah, that's fair. you know we want <laughs> we're gonna you know if if this team's ready to make a run to the playoffs, we're seeing it now or it's not going to happen. I would agree with that. And one thing interesting about this game is you know Denver has made an NFL high sixteen primetime appearances at home since two thousand eleven. Uh, when Elway uh, rejoined the front office, owning a 14-2 and record and outscoring opponents by more than 10 points per contest. Now, with this game getting flexed, this is actually the fifth primetime contest of the year for the Broncos, and I believe they even have two more on deck. So uh, you would expect that level of scrutiny, you know, from the NFL world as the Broncos being defending champions. But it's also certainly true the bandwagon has grown. Uh, frankly, really ever since Elway returned and, of course, Peyton Manning and, and all that. Now, the Dallas Cowboys have traditionally owned the moniker of America's team, but according to polling data that was taken before Super Bowl 50, uh, <clears throat> before they won the Super Bowl, the Broncos assumed that mantle. Now, Dallas is now 9-1, and one, and the hype machine is in full ramp behind them. As an analyst, Will, who's America's team today? Yeah, this is a this is a really good question, and I struggled with it a little bit. You know, the Cowboys might be getting a little bit of that back. You know, if you turn on uh, ESPN, you can pretty much find Stephen A. Smith, uh, you know, debating Max Kellerman, or you find Skip Bayless talking with Shannon Sharp about, you know, is Dak Prescott the MVP? Is Ezekiel Elliott the MVP? Is the Cowboys' whole offensive line the NFL MVP? Right. But uh, I've got I've got a little bit of a hot take for you. Um, Bring it. I don't. I don't think it's the Broncos, and here's why: the Broncos are a little bit too efficient, and they're a little bit too well organized to be the to be America's team. If you know what I mean. I don't think. Uh, I don't think the country can relate to a team that's really that well run. Um, if it, if anybody, I, the Broncos are like the Roman Empire's team. <laughs> they're just so powerful and like such good leadership. That I don't think America is really you know familiar with that, especially you know in the past few weeks, you know, pretty divisive time in our country's history. Plus, you to have, say the least, absolutely. Plus, you have the star power of Peyton Manning. I mean, he was one of the biggest hitters in terms of star power, advertising, likability, you know, in the NFL loving world. And without him, the Broncos have kind of sunk back into and you know. I don't want to compare them to the New England Patriots, but but where the perception becomes, you know, they're just a good team. They're going to win. They're going to get it done. Blah blah blah. Let's find someone, you know, something more exciting. Oh sure, yeah. I think if you pulled the average NFL fan, I don't think they could tell you who the quarterback of the Broncos is right now. Uh, I think Trevor Simeon's still a pretty obscure name. Um, and as a seventh rounder out of Northwestern, probably <laughs> the most obscure Big Ten school. I think you have to expect that. Sure. But I can tell you, let me tell you who the team, uh, who America's team is. Yeah. And it's kind of an unexpected one, but it's the New York Jets. And here's why. <laughs> the New York Jets? <laughs> the New York Jets, yeah. Okay, let me yeah, hear It kind of takes a little bit of explanation. All right, let me hear it. But so <clears throat> let's go back in time to 1968, Super Bowl three. Uh, the NFL and the AFL were playing their third uh, their third Super Bowl. Right. They hadn't merged yet. The AFL was a little bit like a young United States of America. <laughs> uh, 
they're still kind of finding themselves. They're they're exciting. They're you know fun to watch. They pass the ball a lot. Oh yeah. But the N- the NFL was like the British Empire, and Joe Namath called the shot a few days before the Super Bowl. Right. And most, said most famously. You know, oh, of course. He said, "I guarantee you, we're gonna we're gonna beat the Colts." And that reminds me of uh, <clears throat> Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, everybody <laughs> getting together and signing the Declaration of Independence uh, right. on July 4th, 1776. Called a shot, said, hey, we're beating, uh, we're beating the British Empire. Let's do it. Let's have a war. Uh, Johnny Unitas, you know, you know, take the analogy as you will. Uh, Johnny Unitas might be King George. Yeah, the, parallel, maybe the parallels maybe it's Don are Oh, yeah. And uh, so they did that. Of course, they beat him. Uh, Joe Namath takes credit for the victory, gets MVP, even though Matt Snell does most of the heavy lifting in that game. And it's kind of like that in the Revolutionary War, where the French probably do more of the heavy lifting, but you know <laughs> we're always going to take credit for it. Yep, yep. But uh, and then since then, you know, we've had our ups and downs, and so have the Jets. Um, we the Jets haven't won a Super Bowl since, and. Um, you know, we had we had tough times. The, the Civil War was a trying time for our country. Yeah. Uh, you know, the butt fumble. I don't know if you want to compare that to like Watergate or like <laughs> the Clinton Lewinsky scandal. Oh yeah. But it was a little bit embarrassing for our country. But and you know, Rex Ryan, he's a little. He's got a big personality. He's a little bit like Donald Trump. He keeps talking about <laughs> we're going to be winning all the time. But you know what? You got to love it. Uh, they've got a big personality. The United States uh, is like, they're always going to be a world power. They're always going to be relevant. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just have to hope for success in the future. That's, that's, so that's my answer. That's a hot take. Long story short, that's it. Absolutely. Very hot take. Hot take from Will Keys. You heard it first. Now, before we move on and, and, and go a little bit deeper inside the matchup, and we'll do a little scouting of the Chiefs, one thing I want to talk about here is if your company is interested in marketing to men between the ages of 18 and 44, your company should be sponsoring this podcast. 98% of the Locked On Broncos listenership is male, 80% of which are between the ages of 18 to 44. So if you want to reach that demographic, this is your spot. Uh, you can email me at LockedOnBroncos at gmail.com. We can talk about rates, which are very reasonable. Now, Will, let's uh, let's go a little bit deeper uh, into Denver's head-to-head matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, obviously, these two teams, uh, on paper, they're they're very similar. Denver owns the number 27 offense from a total yards perspective, while Kansas City is at number 24. The Broncos are averaging 23.9 points per game, which is good for 14th in the league, while the Chiefs average 22.8, good for 19th. Now, the scoring is is a little bit misleading uh, because both teams have had the fortune of of netting points off turnovers by their respective uh, defenses. Now, rushing, the Broncos are 22nd, averaging 97.4 yards per game, while the Chiefs come in at 21st, averaging 99.7. Now, in terms of passing offense, it's not pretty. Denver's 23rd, Kansas City's 22nd, 227 yards per game to 233. The Broncos have allowed 26 sacks. The Chiefs have allowed 22. Um, And it's crazy, really, how similar these teams are on paper, especially on offense. Even Chris Harris Jr. pointed out this week how alike these two divisional foes are. For you, Will, when you compare these two offenses, what jumps out to you? Yeah, so I don't really have as much, as hot of a take as the last question, but um, 
I think it's how they use their receivers. So Denver primarily passes the ball to Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and after that, there's it just goes off a cliff. There's a huge drop off. They haven't been using their tight ends very well, or as well as they should. They don't, for some reason, they don't really use the running backs very well in the passing game. Um, I think that would be something that would jumpstart the offense, but for some reason, you know, it hasn't really uh, entered the playbook. You mean the Broncos, uh, at least, right? At least this season, yeah, the Broncos. Of course, okay. I think uh, Kansas City is a little bit more creative on offense. Um, they run obviously a very West Coast style, which fits Alex Smith's uh, strengths as a quarterback. But they use anybody that they can as a receiver. They're passing the ball a lot to Spencer Ware. Um, probably their number one target has been for the last two years, Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And okay. then they have uh, they have Jeremy Macklin out wide. They they run a lot of slants and quick passes to him. And after that, you have Tyreek Hill, who uh, he's been he's been effective this year, um, and he's kind of been like a wildcat, but uh, he can kind of take the to- take the top off of the defense, which you didn't really see last year uh, out of their offense. But they do use everybody at their disposal, and I kind of wish Denver would do that. Um, but at the same time, Denver is just more explosive because of Sanders and Thomas. You know, right? Kansas City doesn't have anybody like that, and so. I think Denver can probably score from anywhere on the field, whereas Kansas City is more set up to have long, sustainable drives. And, you know, that's just that's the difference. I mean, yeah. they're both successful, but in different ways. And I would agree with that. And in, in terms of, of scouting the Chiefs, let's let's talk about some of the offensive players to keep an eye on. Of course, we have quarterback Alex Smith, who's who's battled the injury bug somewhat this year. And Smith has never been one to really light up the box score. But but man, he's he's kinda having a down year. He's barely eclipsed two thousand yards passing, kinda like Trevor Simeon. But the big difference is that although Smith is plus five in his touchdown to interception ratio, just like Simeon. Smith has thrown three less touchdowns than Simeon has, and both players have missed a start this year uh, due to injury. And after several years of of, of being in the AFC West, we kind of know what to expect from Alex Smith. Um, he's going to play conservative. He's always a, a threat to to tuck and run, and he's more difficult to sack than I think a lot of people realize. And you can afford to keep a safety in the box when you're playing Alex Smith because he's not going to try uh, – He's not a consistent threat, as you say, as you mentioned, to use your verbiage, to take the top off the defense. And yet, he's a very smart player. He's very savvy. Uh, typically plays well in the clutch against Denver. What are your thoughts on Alex Smith this year, Will? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Northern California. And so every Sunday, we got Raiders games and we got San Francisco 49ers games. And so when I was growing up and first started to watch football, uh, that was right about when the or when the 49ers drafted Alex Smith out of Utah with the uh, number one pick in that you know Smith Rogers draft, and so I got to see him for like his first six years in San Francisco, and you could always see that there was something there, but the 49ers were just such an atrocious team overall and just so poorly coached. That was like the Mike Smith or Mike Nolan, um, Mike Singletary years. Right, and they had they had an offensive coordinator, a different offensive coordinator, for the first six years of Alex Smith's career. Right, it was like a carousel for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so you never really got to see him reach his full potential in San Francisco until Jim Harbaugh got there. And then even then, we kind of saw uh, 
that Smith really has a ceiling. Like he doesn't push the ball downfield very much. Um, he doesn't throw to the wide receivers very often. And he's got he's got a good arm. He's got good mechanics. But I think he's uh, he plays definitely within the system. He he's gonna just hit that quick read. Yep. He's usually gonna go for the shorter route. Um, we've seen him bust out, and we've seen him like really show off of his talent, like in that uh, that 2013 wild card round game against the Colts. It's probably like the right. most impressive game of his career oh, and yeah, a loss. That huge comeback, right? Yeah, and since then, it's kind of like Kansas City has just been afraid to show that type of Alex Smith again, and the offense isn't really geared to that type of game. But he's definitely a quarterback like Simeon where he's got a ceiling and he's probably never going to throw anything more like anything from like 20 to 25 touchdowns a season. But he's not going to turn the ball over very much either. You know, he's good for 9 to 11 wins on a uh, on a good team with a good defense and a good running game. Yeah, and I would agree with that. He's he's just a guy that uh, I like the way you say that. You you know what his ceiling is, and and the good thing about that is as as a as a you know franchise as a as a coaching staff, the Chiefs can plan around that. They kind of know what to expect. Now we also have to talk about Spencer Ware, who has really taken over for um, the injured Jamal Charles as Kansas City's featured back. Now this LSU product has really surprised me and. And it's kind of ironic because he was a sixth-round pick of the Seattle Seahawks in 2013. He even nabbed himself a Super Bowl ring at Denver's expense as, as one of Marshawn Lynch's backups. Then Seattle waived him at the end of training camp the following season, and Kansas City signed him to a futures contract. And, and here he is, you know, really one of Kansas City's uh, only bright spots offensively with 641 yards rushing and 341 receiving. He's already close to 1,000 yards uh, from scrimmage. Now, I don't know how many Chiefs games you've studied this year, Will, but tell me what you feel like the Broncos have to do to, to limit Spencer Ware. And, of course, your, just your thoughts on him as a player. Yeah, well, I mean, as a player, obviously Kansas City is really high on him. Um, they have Charkandrick Char- uh, West, it's a mouthful, uh, behind him. And they had Jamal Charles coming back um, from that big injury la- that kept him out last year. And they really didn't ever feel the need to play Jamal Charles this season. And I think that that's kind of a testament to how much they like Spencer Ware. Yep. But Ware, like like you said, he was with the Seahawks. He's kind of a prototypical Seattle back like Thomas Rawls or Marshawn Lynch back in the day. Just aggressive. Yeah, he's really just a bowling ball. Like, he does everything well. He's, he's sort of a halfback, fullback uh, hybrid. Yeah, he catches the ball well. Um, he's got, you know, like you said, he's got 341 yards receiving. Yep. And he, he runs just – he doesn't run laterally. He just goes straight north and south. Down to so I think what Yeah, so I think what you have to do against him is you have to get a push inside. If those guards are creating lanes for him, you're done. You've already lost. So you need to get – you need to try to see Sylvester Williams get a push inside, maybe Crick crashing in on those guards, and then Wolf uh, – <clears throat> trying to blow up those plays too and then if you get those if you get brandon marshall and todd davis cleared out you know it's lights out like he's he's an automatic 12 yards if he's got a if he's got a big hole in between the guards so you have to you have to push them inside in the middle make sure there aren't those huge holes right between the center and guard and also you have to tackle low like he's yeah he's just not going down quick he's kind of like cj anderson in that his legs are always moving and he's got huge legs 
and you have to just kind of wrap them up kind of like you would Rob Gronkowski where if you go high <laughs> you're just you're not tackling him that's yeah. not going to happen so you have to wrap them up low and take him down hopefully on first contact I think that's a fair assessment the Broncos as we know um, we'll, we'll talk about the defensive side uh, here in a little bit, but the Broncos have struggled on uh, in in stopping the run, and it's good they're getting Derek Wolf back. Um, but this kid Spencer Ware is going to be one of their stiffest tests uh, of the season. Another guy we need to scout and talk about here, Will, is of course tight end Travis Kelsey. Now you touched on him a little bit in uh, earlier in the show, but this is a young tight end, um, very much in the same type of mold as Rob Gronkowski. I wouldn't obviously put him on the same level as Gronkowski, but I will say this. I shudder to think how devastating of a force Kelsey would be if he had a prolific quarterback thrown in the ball like a Tom Brady. Um, Kelsey's third on the team with 574 receiving yards and three touchdowns. Um, The Chiefs even tried to get cute with him last week in the red zone, inside the five, doing a jet sweep to the tight end. That's, I mean, you don't see that too often in in Mm -hmm. today's NFL. Now, as we know, the Broncos' defense struggles to defend the tight end. Um, Luke and I have documented this phenomenon uh, for many, many weeks. Um, But let's talk about it. Well, how do they take away Travis Kelsey, or at least limit him uh, on Sunday night? Yeah, I mean, you're right. The the tight end has kind of been the Broncos' Achilles' heel forever. I mean, how many times has Antonio Gates and Tony Gonzalez scored against us in the last 10 to 15 years? But Kelsey's kind of uh, he's kind of that hybrid wide receiver tight end mold where he's probably quick enough to be kind of on the slower end of a wide receiver, but he's big and he's physical enough to play tight end. And so – the Broncos are kind of in a tough spot because they don't have Danny Trevathan anymore. Todd Davis isn't great in coverage. I don't know if Corey Nelson is really strong enough to stay with him. But you have to just kind of hope to bracket him, and you have to get in Alex Smith's face and disrupt their rhythm. And at some point, you have to kind of admit that, you know, tra- we're not going to shut out Travis Kelsey, but if you can limit him to something below 50 yards and make sure he doesn't have these long catches and runs like he did in week two of uh, the previous season, you kind of have to consider that a success. So bracket him, maybe try to keep Darian Stewart on him. You know, the Broncos don't have that like Sua Cravens or Dion Buchanan type uh, linebacker safety hybrid that's kind of become popular in the NFL right. to combat these really fast, really physical tight ends that we've been seeing popping up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that's something they address later on or they find somewhere on the roster. But, you know, bracket him, get a couple linebackers on him short, and then, you know, have Darian Stewart or TJ Ward try to shadow him and, shadow him and hope for the best, I guess. Absolutely. He's, he's, he's going to be one of Denver's uh, stiffest challenges this week. Um, mm-hmm. they got to come up with something different than what they've done in the past. Now, real quick, I want to talk about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the football games that you want to see up close in person uh, this season. And, and anyone who's been to a game, you know there's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the guaranteed seats that you want for great value. I have the SeatGeek app. Um, on my phone, and it's it's easy. It's it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Um, I can be anywhere, you know, 
tap, tap, click, click. I can instantly find the seats um, for whatever game I want to see this season. And with SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because they price compare for you searching multiple ticket sites. And prices can vary, you know, depending on where you shop. But SeatGeek is always going to find you the lowest available price. And SeatGeek also wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see um, any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, Every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with absolute confidence. And best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek performance. Here's how you get that $20 rebate on tickets. Number one, download the SeatGeek app. Two, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Three, enter promo code LOBRONCOS. And then four, SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code Locked On, well, actually LO Broncos uh, today. Now, well, I want to move over and, and talk about the defense real quick and, and kind of compare the two units. Like the Broncos, um, the Chiefs' defense has been responsible for keeping this team competitive. But, and I want to put this in there, but. They've been nowhere near as consistent of a force as the Broncos have, Will. And, and Denver is, is, is ranked currently fourth in total yards, while Kansas City is 24th. That's a huge gap. Um, Denver's ranked in the top 10, basically, in, in most of the major statistical categories, while the Chiefs are mostly in the bottom third. And on third down, the Chiefs are, are giving up conversions 43.7% of the time, which is good for 30th in the NFL. But what's really saved this unit is their penchant for takeaways. When their opponents make a mistake, any kind of lapse, the Chiefs have cashed in and made them pay for it. They have 22 takeaways on the season, which puts them at plus 14 in the turnover differential, which is ridiculous, tied for first. And Denver has 20 takeaways. They're only two takeaways behind Kansas City, um, but they're plus five in the turnover uh, differential, but still top five, fifth place. The biggest issue I think, Will, Kansas City has struggled with um, and the guys over at Locked On Chiefs uh, talked about this and kind of confirmed it, is really just their health. They've had multiple injuries to key players, and it's really set them back. These two defenses, though, I think are designed essentially to do the same thing, prey on the quarterback and capitalize on pressure. And yet, statistically, they're quite different. What jumps out to you, though, Will, is the biggest difference between the Denver and the Kansas City uh, defenses? Yeah, well, I think they're actually pretty similar in that, uh, especially when they're getting – they've gotten Justin Houston back now after he missed the first half of the season. And so they have a lot of options of pass rusher. Um, they have Justin Houston on that one side, and then on the other side we have D Ford, who we'll talk about later. But um, they're also pretty versatile inside. They have Don Tari Poe and then Jay Howard, who uh, I really like watching Jay Howard on, on uh, film because – He's a really big guy, but he's really agile, and he has a really crazy spin move. Who? Oh yeah. I don't think I've seen like an agile fat guy like that <laughs> since like Chris Farley. But it's pretty it's pretty impressive when you see it happen uh, on film and kind of look at it uh, <laughs> on the all twenty two. Oh yeah. But um, their linebackers are good too, like Denver's. Uh, Derek Johnson's like quietly one of the best uh, inside linebackers in the NFL. doesn't get a whole lot of recognition. Made Definitely. some Pro Bowls, though. 
But I think the difference is in the secondary. Um, Eric Berry is obviously a really good player. And Marcus Peters, uh, you know, he just picks off a lot of passes. And we'll talk about him later too. But uh, I don't think they're as deep as Denver's secondary. Denver, especially when Denver's really, really healthy across the board at corner. And I wrote about this this morning. It gives them a lot of options where they can move Harris inside and then have Roby and Tlaib outside on the wide receivers. Yep. It really plays to their strengths. And when they go four and five deep and when they have, you know, when they have Kayvon Webster on the field and then Doss, who's a good player, who's a good option for a fifth cornerback, teams aren't as deep at wide receiver as the Broncos are at corner. And plus they have two really, really good starting safeties. You know, Ward's an enforcer, and we saw how well Darian Stewart played last week or two weeks ago now. Definitely, yeah. Uh, against New Orleans, he's turning into really a ball hawk. And then behind them, you have Will Parks and Justin Simmons, who obviously played really well at the end of the New Orleans game. Yep. Made uh, the decisive play in the game. And Kansas City is pretty talented, but they lost Sean Smith to free agency. And so they don't have like a really big physical corner anymore who can match up with Demarius Thomas, I don't think. And they're not quite as deep as the Broncos. They're, they're talented, but if you had to pick out one weakness on the Chiefs' defense where they don't quite match up with Denver, I think it's got to be the secondary. Yeah, certainly the secondary. And um, as you mentioned, they're just they're across the board not as deep. Elway's been very savvy and very successful, uh, not only in recruiting um, you know, free agents, but also bolstering the, the entire roster through the draft and and uh, college free agent uh, pools. Now, you bring up Justin Houston. Of course, as you mentioned, he missed the first nine games of the season, but he did return uh, in Week 11, and it's going to take some time for him to get his his legs underneath him. And while he didn't tally a sack last week, uh, if you watched that game, he was very disruptive in the running game. And, you know, let's face it, when healthy, Justin Houston is a top-five edge rusher or edge player in the NFL, kind of like Khalil Mack. He's often compared to Vaughn Miller. You know, when Denver struggles at right tackle, Will, um, you know, we've seen it all season long, whether it's Donald Stevenson or Tyson Brylow. How worried are you about Justin Houston now coming back? This will be his second game. Yeah, uh, as far as concern, I think it's kind of like at a code red for uh, the Justin Houston situation. I am terrified, but uh, especially with, Gary Kubiak coming out and saying that I guess he's going to play Ty Sambrilo and Donald Stevenson a little bit at right tackle, which, you know, if you like, like with quarterbacks, you know, if you have two right tackles, you don't have one. Yep. But <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's really concerning. Like you have to chip him at some point with Virgil green, maybe at tight end. Uh, obviously Denver got rid of John Phillips. So that's they're behind one blocking tight end. Uh, but yeah, you have, you just have to put a lot of bodies on him. And at some point, like you have to pick, like when offensive offenses play the Broncos, they have to choose: are right, are we going to focus our efforts on Von Miller, or are we going to do it with Demarcus Ware? It's kind of pick your poison. And D Ford's been uh, playing out of his mind this season too, so you kind of have to take that little uh, um, cost-effective <clears throat> look at it and say: do we want to focus our efforts on the left side with Ford or the right side with Houston? Right. And I think they'll probably do that with Houston and hopefully get Janovich or Booker or whoever's playing running back to get a body on him. Maybe put a tight end on him too. And, you know, you have to hope that 
Stevenson and Houston are obviously pretty familiar with each other, having played in practice all the time. That's a good point. <laughs> that might mean, that might spell bad things for the Broncos. Maybe Houston knows Stevenson's weaknesses inside and out, uh, or maybe the, it's the other way around. I wouldn't count on it. But um, right. you have, yeah, you just have to hope for something like that to work. I would think that um, this time around, I, I mean, I, I would be surprised if Stevenson doesn't at least start the game, and I think Kubiak will kind of get a feel for how he's doing because he does have, um, you know, an intimate uh, experience and knowledge competing against Houston um, with the Chiefs. And you bring up D. Ford. I mean, he's got ten sacks on the season. Um, which is half a sack more than Von Miller, by the way. He's, and he's he's turned into an exceptional pass rusher. His ability to to bend around the edge, uh, frankly, reminds me of Miller and Marcus Ware. Um, but he's been battling a hamstring injury. He had to leave the game last week. If the Chiefs are able to get him healthy, though, and I, I talked to the locked on guys, locked on Chiefs guys this week, they he's he's been classified as day to day by Andy Reid, which usually translates into him a player suiting up if a coach you know calls you day to day usually more mm-hmm. often than not, i should say you're going to probably end up suiting up uh, but i am worried about the prospect of having to fend off ford in houston and i would think as you talk about picking your poison i think the broncos probably like the matchup of of singling out okung with ford rather than one of the right tackles um with houston yeah, I think, uh, you know, the Broncos went out and got Russell Okung in free agency for a reason. You know, if you go out and pay that type of money for a left tackle, you have to trust them on a team's second best pass rusher. Yeah. But um, one thing I think is interesting about D Ford is, so yeah, he has 10 sacks this year, which is kind of out of nowhere. He only has something like 15 and a half career sacks. But then again, he's, he's getting more of an opportunity with Houston being out for nine games. But uh, his his sack celebration this year is a little bit different than Von Miller. Von Miller likes to dance, but um, D Ford's been counting the number of sacks he has throughout the season on his fingers. <laughs> so like his first sack, he'll put up like one index finger. Uh-huh. You know, when he gets to five sacks, he'll just put up like the whole hand. But what's now he's got ten sacks. Yeah, what's so he gonna do now? He's out of fingers. Yeah, he's out of digits. You only, you, know, you only have ten fingers. You can only put up two hands. So I'm I'm wondering like is he gonna stop rushing the passer or is he gonna come up with you know a new celebration? Well, it'll be interesting to see. Let's hope he doesn't have too much cause to celebrate on Sunday night. Now, real quick, and I, I want to yeah. get to uh, keys to the game, but before we do, there's there's one more kind of group of guys I want to talk about. First off, and you know the Chiefs really do have at each level of their defense, they have at least one or two players um, that are top tier. Don Terry Poe, as you mentioned, big penetrating nose tackle. Um, Derek Johnson, I agree, one of the most underrated um, inside linebackers in the NFL. Um, but I want to talk about the Chiefs' secondary. Eric Berry is is still Eric Berry. He's made some huge plays this year and remains that unit's kind of emotional leader. And then we come to Marcus Peters. We saw him pick off Peyton Manning a couple times last year, which is not easy to do. This kid already has 13 career interceptions, and he's only in his second year, about halfway through his second year. And those 13 picks are the most by uh, any player in the league since the start of 2015. So this kid is legit. He's bona fide. Now, again, he missed last week with a hip injury, um, but he has returned to practice uh, this week, albeit in a, a limited role. I'd be shocked, honestly, if he didn't go on Sunday night. Give us your take, Will, on uh, Kansas City's phenomenal young corner. 
Yeah, I mean, I expect him to go too. Like, when a guy practices, that's a good sign that, you know, he's going to play, especially this late in the week. But Peters is definitely a riverboat gambler at cornerback. He guesses a lot, which means you're going to have a high total of interceptions and you're kind of just going to get burned too. Like, that's the reality. Can't have it both ways. And, you know, that's. Every defense kind of needs someone like that who's a risk taker, and I think the Broncos have that with Tlaib. Sure. And Tlaib's probably a better overall cornerback at this point in his career, and I think like pro football focus will reflect that. But you have to take advantage of that aggressiveness. So you know you try to sell him on like a couple double moves, or really just get him going one way and um, go the other. But he, no, he's a smart guy. He's uh, and he just he guesses right more often than not yep but you have to try to see if you can uh get them to bite and then you know either go deep or you know get them going the other way i would be surprised honestly if simeon um doesn't test him too often on sunday night mm-hmm. and just kind of goes away from him but you know one thing real quick um i want to talk about is again it's great to be a part of the locked on sports um podcast network Basically, there's a show for each and every team in the NFL. There's there's so much amazing content getting produced daily. And no matter whom the Broncos play each week, when you want to go behind enemy lines, you know, get a better picture of the opponent, go find the corresponding Locked On podcast associated with that team. This week, of course, it's Locked On Chiefs. You want to check them out. Next week, the Broncos will play Jacksonville. So you're going to want to check on Locked On Jaguars. And, of course, they also have, I should say we also have Locked On NFL uh, with Matt Williamson, phenomenal show, as is Locked On Fantasy Football with Vinny Iyer. Now, Will, I want to move on to Keys to Victory and how fitting it is uh, to talk about Keys to Victory with the oh, variable key master himself. Yep. Um, but, hey, the Broncos need a big time uh, a win big time this week. It's a huge divisional matchup, uh, probably going to have far-reaching implications uh, later in the year. In your mind, let's boil it down to one key because we're kind of running long. In your yeah, mind, Will, so, what, what do the Broncos have to do to, to emerge victorious? Yeah, sorry. Um, for me, it's the time of possession. So Kansas City really thrives off of this. They win games on, like I said earlier, long, sustained drives where they've got a lot of balance. They're not throwing the ball, ball very long, but they're, they're taking their time and – they're going on long marches from one side of the field to the other and hopefully cashing in if you're a Chiefs fan. But they need to use that against them. Tampa Bay did it really well last week. They controlled the ball for 35 minutes, um, and the Chiefs obviously only 25. But they did that by converting 11 of 16 of their third down attempts. Uh, Jameis Winston was just really playing well, uh, especially on third down, which is – not very typical out of a young quarterback, and you can hope that Trevor Simeon does the same. And Denver actually played uh, <clears throat> played well in terms of time of possession against the Saints. They controlled the ball for 39 minutes. Right, big improvement. And, yeah, especially against uh, – they went from – in the game against Oakland, uh, their worst time of possession ratio to New Orleans, their best. Mm-hmm. And that kind of has to do with uh, Oakland being a better overall – running team and ball control offense and the saints are more of an up and down the field type of uh, team. Right. 
but no, it's it's good to see that improvement. And Denver went 11 out of 19 on third down, which is another way that um, they were struggling on, on offense. So it's good to see that improve. But you really just want to see it happen again with Kansas City, you know. Don't let them eat seven minutes off of the clock on one drive. You know, if you can do that uh, and you can build a lead, Kansas City is not the type of team that's going to come storming back, throwing down the field and, you know, getting big plays to get back in the game. That's a good point. And I, I would certainly agree with that being one of the keys. And there's so many to choose from. Um, but if I had to land on one key, I think it would be this week the offensive line because the Chiefs are built to get after the quarterback. You know, they've had their ups and downs um, in this department. But, again, Justin Houston's back and Denver's right tackle position has basically been a turnstile. So whether it's Stevenson or Sam Brilo or both rotating in, uh, matching up with Houston will be key both in pass protection and in the running game. And when the season opened, I mean, remember back, Will, we saw this offensive line play remarkably well, so well, in fact, that we were surprised. We were all tipping our hats to Elway, uh, you know, and then some injuries struck and things slowly deteriorated. The Broncos played 10 games in a row, and that's never easy on the big boys up front. Russell Okung, uh, you know, he was battling a, a back injury and hasn't been the same really since it cropped up. And I'm hopeful that the bye afforded these guys the opportunity to, to not only heal and, and rest up, but also to get back to basics. I'm, I'm just frankly sick of watching the Broncos O-linemen lunge and display poor technique and, and sloppy effort. I hope that O-line coach Clancy Barone lit a fire under these guys, and I just hope they get back to basics, really, because you talk about time of possession, Will, and, and as a key, and I certainly agree with you, but if the Broncos were are, are unable to run the ball um, – if they're unable to protect Trevor Simeon long enough to convert on those third downs, winning the time of possession battle just won't happen. And last year we saw the Broncos. Uh, I mean, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't dominant by any stretch of the imagination, but they did coalesce as an O-line down the stretch and improve to the point where they could run the ball uh, well and, and keep their QB upright mostly. It just remains to be seen whether they can – follow suit in 2016 but let's uh let's get to our prediction well and then we'll get out of here who do you have win in this game and uh by what score yeah so big shocker i'm gonna take the broncos uh by a score of 20 to 17 um i think we'll see a pretty prototypical trevor simeon game where he throws for one touchdown uh probably one interception for around 200 250 yards and i think denver's gonna win on a late turnover Interesting. I also have it relatively close. I am taking the Broncos in this game, even though last year the Chiefs came to Denver and, and stole one. I'm taking the Broncos, say, uh, 24 to 19. I think that they're going to come out of the bye. They're going to stick to their tradition of playing well coming out of the bye. And I think that their experience, you know, basically this is this, the next six games are essentially a series of, of one-off playoff games. They, if they can win out – now, I know that's a tall order with the way their schedule is, is shaped right now, but if the Broncos win out, they win probably the AFC West and probably uh, the number one seed, and we, we, see, we saw how that played out for them last year. So I'm taking Broncos, again, 24-19, and I think that's going to do it for uh, today's episode of Locked On Broncos. Big thanks to you, Will, for joining the show. Did you have some fun? I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll get you back on here soon. Follow Will on Twitter, at WillKeys6. 
Uh, Luke and I will be back on Monday uh, morning to react to Broncos Chiefs. Stay tuned for that. Of course, you can find Luke on Twitter at Luke Paul Glaze. Find me on Twitter at Chad and Jensen. Uh, always down to talk Broncos and uh, always enjoy engaging with you guys. Um, the show's Twitter uh, is at Locked On Broncos, and uh, make sure you subscribe for Luke and Will. I'm Chad. We'll talk to you next week. Mile high huddle. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.